Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's good, y'all? This is Breeze Bruin from the Mighty Juggernauts. And make sure you subscribe and download the podcast. Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Einan Kell. Hip-hop journalism on the highest level. Yeah, what's up? It's your boy Joel Ortiz. And I want everybody to make sure that they subscribe and download the podcast. Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Ininko. Yo, Tim, I hope all is well. You my guy. I know these interviews are not interviews. They're actually conversations. And I appreciate them all. Yeah, what? Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ice T. I want you to do something for me. Make sure you download and subscribe Library Rap. The hip hop interviews with Tim I and Cal. It is old fucking official. All right, stop playing. Download and subscribe. Library rap. The hip hop interviews with Tim I and Cal. It's cold. My next guest is a big hip-hop pioneer that has many firsts under his belt. He continues to promote and represent hip-hop and reminds us the importance of properly documenting the origins of hip-hop culture. He's a legendary Kango Kid. I want to welcome him to allhiphop.com presents the library with Tim Anikil. Kango Kid, it's an honor to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. So, Thank you, my uh, brother Chuck right there. Oh, Say Chuck. <laughs> Uh, so, Kego, of course, I want to start from the beginning. You, you started out as a dancer. What what drew you to dancing uh, as um, a teenager, as a, you know? You know, my my teachers back then was uh, Soul Train. Soul Train drew me into that, man. Um, you know, when my mom is too busy doing whatever, you know, housework or whatever it is that she has to do, she plops me right in front of a television and uh, the television captures my attention and she can do whatever she got to do. And I will not leave that area. I would still sit, sit there mesmerized by the TV. So, um, you know, so, so Soul Train was absolutely um, my teacher, uh, my babysitter and taught me how to dance. Um, you know, in terms of the, the style of dancing I was doing, which was popping, um, you know, believe it or not, that got kicked off by watching Shields and Yarnell. And I don't know if any one of you guys remember them, but they were the male and female uh, miming team. And uh, their whole routine was just strictly miming. And, um, you know, watching cats get into popping and using the miming technique to do it on beat was just, uh, you know, incredible for me. So I used both of those things that I've seen, both with Shields and Yarnell and with Soul Train, and taught myself, you know, 
So um, that's what gravitated me towards uh, dancing. But in terms of entertainment, before even Soul Train, you know, I was watching shows like Tom Jones, uh, uh, artists like Ingebert Humperdinck, um, you know, Donnie and Marie, you know, the Osmond brothers. I was basically into all of those white acts that you just heard that me say and um, and loved it and said, yo, this is what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be an entertainer. Mind you, all of this was before rap. So I never grew up saying I wanted to be a rapper. I said I wanted to be an entertainer, a songwriter, you know, a performer like these cats. So um, dancing started with that, bro. Watching Soul Train. Uh, did you when when did you take watching uh soul train to dance outside of the house and uh that's what school is for <laughs> school man school has talent shows man god bless schools and talent shows you know what i mean so um uh whenever the teacher would say you know does anyone have any talent is any you know anyone can sing anyone can dance anyone wants to be on the show i'm like really you guys are gonna let me do this like i could you know word permission to do what i do at home in front of my class, you know, classmates and so on. So uh, that's that, that's where it happened, man. Catholic school. I was an Our Lady of Loretto in Brooklyn, New York. And their, um, the lunchroom served as the, you know, the, the, the stage, you know what I mean? As the auditorium, per se. And so uh, when they're ready to do the show, they just get all the tables and chairs out of there and stage has the curtain and the whole nine they just transformed that whole lunchroom area to a theater basically and uh that's where i let everyone know what i can do and um you know it, it wasn't even a dance thing for me at that time i was on stage letting everyone know i could sing mm-hmm. and because i grew up listening to all that pop stuff um, one of the first songs i ever sang on stage was a song by andy gibbs um Love is higher than a mountain. Love is thicker than water. So that was the first song I ever sang on stage, and you know all the all the, the you know my my fellow classmates in the whole school was like, oh my god, you know he did that all right, you know, and that was my little taste of stardom. I'm like, all right, I got to sweat me, yo. Documentary. Yeah, yo, I should have been, man. I would have loved to have been. You know what I mean? And so um. That was the start for me, bro. Outside of the house, Catholic school stage gave me the platform to realize I'm I'm okay at this. You know, I don't suck at this thing called performing. When did MC, so when did MCing begin? I mean, when, who was that first MC you heard that said, "All right, this is kind of I want to transition." Well, you know, um, my my older brother was a DJ. God rest his soul. Um, my older brother was like one of the first DJs in our neighborhood. He had two turntables and a mixer, um, and he brought it to the basement and he was five years older than me. So he had all of his boys come together and they formed a crew, a crew called the Beeline Crew. So everyone had a name that ended with B. So my brother was Dr. B and there was a rapper named Master B. And uh, another cat, uh, you know, named uh, uh, you know, Chili B. It's like everyone had a B in their name. And uh, my birth name is, my government is Sean. So I decided to put myself in his group. This is his peoples, 
But whenever they all get together in the basement, I would come in there and, you know, and have my raps written and uh, come in as Sean B. And so uh, when I'd get on the mic and do my thing, I turned out to be better than the rest of the cats that was in his, in his circle. And they all loved it. They would all say, yo, Doc, yo, your, your brother's hotter than you. And that pissed him off. <laughs> and he said, bro, do not come down here again when my friends are down here. And so I basically got kicked out of the group that I put myself in. <laughs> and so I got pissed off and said, you know what, I'm going to start my own group. And so I started a crew called the Death Crew. And the Death Crew was the same concept as my brother's Beeline Crew. So I became Sean D. And I had this other dude named Master D and another dude that came in named Chili D. So we started to do our thing. And that was my first introduction to doing this whole hip hop thing. And in terms of the records that I was turned on to, these are the records that my brother purchased. So I heard King Tim the Third Fatback Band, you know, by Fatback Fatback Band the first time through him. And then uh, Lady B and then Sequence and uh, uh, Super Rhymes. These are all the first hip hop songs that I ever heard. And it was because he purchased them and played them, you know, um, in the basement. And so I got turned on that way. And this is before these songs hit the radio. And actually, those songs didn't hit the radio. Sugar Hill Gang, The Rapper's Light, was the first to hit the radio. But those songs that I'm talking about that I shared with you were pretty much underground, blowing up before, you know, Rapper's Delight. And um, so that's what got me turned on to hip hop, hearing these records that my, that my brother purchased and uh, being competitive and being told that I couldn't be as good as I was uh, made me, you know, made me better. That's how I, I got it. I got to yes, ask sir. you, what came first, Lady B or Sequence? I think Lady B. Aha! Am I correct? Yes, you yeah, are, man. We were just, yeah. we were just talking yeah, about I, that. I remember, I, I remember that yellow label. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And there's another artist, I forgot the name, that came within that era as well, Spoonie G. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah. these are all the cats in the early days of hip-hop before radio started to play any rap songs. Yeah, shout out to Lady B. We grew up on her with the uh, Street Beat show in Philly. No doubt. That, that was one of my fairy tale lovers, believe it or not. You know what I mean? <laughs> when I met Lady B, I was like, oh my God! Yo, she's she's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Remember, you saw how it was in Philly when we were hanging out after, yes, you, sir. after you play. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So when did so I'm sorry, when when did the I guess when did the writing begin for you? Uh were you I mean, were you already writing at the time? I was already writing, man. I was writing before any record deal. Um I wrote Fairy Tale Lover while I was on tour with Houdini. So this is before the UTFO deal. And I didn't write it for UTFO. I didn't write it for anyone. It was just an idea that hit me, you know, as a young kid and I'm imagining what love is because I'm 16 years old. I was never in a real relationship at 16. And so I'm imagining that love has to be equivalent to a fairy tale, you know, someone's dream come true. And I used all the fairy tale characters in the song, you know, um, uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland and Cow Jumping Over the Moon, Little Red Riding Hood. I threw all of that into this song um, before 
ever writing Roxanne or having a recording deal to have this uh, official group called UTFO. All of that songwriting stuff happened before the rap career kicked off. So I've been writing. I've been writing since I was eight years old. For real. Were you, share, were, you did, were you sharing like? Did you share that song "Fairy Tale Lover" before you did the public? No, I didn't share that song until it was time for us to do an album. Mm. So no one heard the song as we did Beats and Rhymes, which was our first single. No one heard that as we were in the studio recording Hanging Out, which was our second song that we that we um, produced and you know it recorded. Um, after we did Hanging Out is when the record company said, I need a song for the B-side. And then we decided to write, you know, um, hang, uh, write Roxanne, Roxanne. And um, so during that time, no one ever heard Fairy Tale Level. It wasn't until the success of Roxanne Roxanne and the record company said, okay, enough of these singles, it's time for us to do an album. We had to start putting ideas together, of, you know, putting together at least 10 songs for this album. And uh, I sang that song to full force, not thinking that that would be a song that would be on the album. I just sang, you know, here I am with a, a band. I didn't know a band before them. I've seen bands on television, but I've never hung out with a real band. So as I'm sitting there with my dude, Jerry, who's the keyboard player for the force, I start singing fairy tale lover to him and he starts putting some chords to it. And then uh, Kurt hears what I'm doing and he grabbed a brand new guitar. He had just bought this guitar and it was a guitar without the, uh, you know, the head on top of the guitar where you tune it. Well, this particular guitar didn't have a head. It was just the rectangular joint. I've never seen this before. And so he starts adding some chords to, to it as well. And uh, B-Fine starts adding some drum programming and uh, Paul and Lou starts singing along with me in harmony. And we all said, yo, this sounds all right. And then they said, yo, why don't we put this on the album? And I was shocked. I was like, oh, we're doing a rap album, right? You guys serious? You want to put this on there? They said, yeah, but look, we don't want to, you know, um, focus on you as the lead. There's no lead in this group. So we're going to coach the other two so that they can sing, you know, the other verses in this. And, you know, I was just so honored. I was like, I don't care. Let them sing whatever. I'm just shocked and happy and honored that you guys are allowing my song, not my raps. You've loved my raps, but you're about allowing my song to be on this album. And, uh, you know, so that that's how that happened. But I've been writing songs way before a record deal, man. Many, many years before a record deal. It said rainbows in the sky. Was that you? Yeah, all of that. No, I didn't sing that part, but I wrote the entire song. Right, right, okay. Um, I want to I step back a little bit. I, you know, you and Doc Ice uh, became the first dancers for uh, obviously a the rap group, group, rap group, uh, and Houdini. Um, what was that conversation? I mean, you were you were writing rhymes, uh, you're dancing as well. But what was that conversation when they came to you and said, "We want you guys for"? We actually, as the talent, had nothing to do with that conversation. That wasn't our place. That's what the mouthpiece is for. That's what management is for, and uh, Jalil and Ecstasy approached um, our, our manager at the time, God rest his soul as well, um, Steve Salem. He approached Steve Salem and said, look, I love your kids. I love how they do what they do. We would love to have them come out on the road with us as we perform. And that was Jalil and X idea. And uh, my manager, Steve Salem, loved the idea. And that's how that happened. We had nothing to do with it. He comes to us after the fact and says, that group Houdini, they loved how you guys did what you did, and they just asked me, would you guys join them on tour 
as they perform. And uh, mind you, this is the first time we're getting paid to do this. And, uh, you know, we were just excited as 16-year-old kids that this group, that we knew their songs, of course, that this group was interested in having us join, you know, their joint. And again, how incredible was that? Because that is the first time it was ever done. You know, every rap group after that had to have at least two dancers go out with them, man. And we started that. And that's just so crazy to think of, you know, when you think of uh, uh, Scoop and Scrap, or you think of the boys from Heavy D and the boys, you know, and, and all these other groups that had dancers, we kicked that off, man. And that's just an incredible thing to know that you planted that seed. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned these tours and you, you know, you watch, you know, you watch it's coming some of the old film of the, of these live shows and, you know, Houdini as well as you guys are like these incredible live performers. What do you take away most from learn, not just you guys performing, but also watching Houdini perform and how do you use that today? And what did you use that throughout your career? Um, well, one of the things that Houdini did for me is um, taught me how to become a heartthrob. Because ecstasy and that hat with those leather shorts, making these ladies scream. You know, I was always, I was always Kango Kid. So while he's in the front with that Zorro, you know, hat, and I'm in the back wearing my Kango hat dancing, he's in the front making ladies drool. And that's not a figment of my imagination or me exaggerating i watched these ladies scream for dude and proud because i'm on stage you know as as someone on stage you want that opposite side everyone in front of you enjoying what you're doing and as we danced and they're enjoying us ecstasy and jalil doing their thing and they're enjoying them making us a great act mm. so what i took out of that was uh, mentorship you know, I was watching how this is done for me to become as good and make it my business to be to later be better. And uh, and it happened. Years later, I became a, a hat bearing heartthrob, rap heartthrob as well. And I remember it was a magazine. I think it was Right On, and Right On had a page with uh, um, someone drew all of these. You know, whatever graphic that existed back then, they drew hats. And this, the, the article was called Mad Hatters, Hip Hop Mad Hatters. And it had several hats on one side and uh, names on the other side. And uh, the hats were Ecstasy's hat, my hat, um, LL's hat, Dana Dane's hat, um, Silver from from uh, from Whistle. Silver used to wear a headband with a raccoon tail on it, and it had Silver's you know head headwear on it. And what the fans had to do was to draw a line connecting the hat to the person. And the fact that I made that page, and I'm sharing that page with ecstasy. Yo, that's mm. that's one of those moments where you know, ma, I made it, ma. <laughs> you know, and so so that's what I took out, took you know, took out of uh, being part of Houdini, man. He taught me ecstasy, man. Taught me. I'm sorry. Hey. Nah, 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 he taught me how to be a heartthrob, man. That's all I'm saying. 
Okay, man. I'm not, I'm not putting you on blast, but we had a conversation. You talked about touring with them and some of the, you know, the the behind the scenes things. What was what was that like? That was surreal. You know, I'm a 16 year old kid being introduced to this thing I've I've heard of called groupies. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it prior to being out on the road, that word was a myth. Yeah. And so being on the road and watching all of this was just incredible, man. I mean, you know, women allowed themselves to be free, you know, and, and I, I later understood why, because this is the individual that they're watching on television and saying, man, if I had a moment with him, you know, he can get it. And when they got that moment, we got it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I would watch a young lady approach Houdini and say, can I get your autograph? And they would give, you know, the members of Houdini a Sharpie. And they and members would say, okay, sure, you know, give me the paper. And say, no, 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 right here. Boom. And they'd rip out a breast and say, sign it right here. And everyone is signing the chick's breast. And I'm like, yo, that happens? Like, this this happens? You know? So as a 16-year-old kid watching this type of stuff go down, man, it, it was surreal. It was crazy. Yeah. You know? And it navigated us to us doing our thing. And what's so funny is that Full Force, who are our managers and producers, had never experienced that. Mm-hmm. So when they finally got their success and they're on tour with us, we're telling them, no, 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 that's the that's not how that's done. Let me show you how that's done. And we were coaching our older brothers as to, you know, we're vets now. We've been doing this for like two, three years, man. You know, fall back, man. Let me show you how this is done. You know, and it was just a crazy thing to be an expert in that world yeah. <laughs> at 16, 17, 18. You know what I mean? I can't see Bone Naked Lou seriously with uh, Groupie. I just can't see it. <laughs> Yo, it, it was funny. And they even cracked jokes about that. Like, yo, these little kids was schooling us on how how to maneuver in this thing. And we were. (laughs) Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack. And save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joe's, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses. Plus, updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. King, I want to ask you more about, uh, uh, you posted on, on your IG page uh, uh, a performance of you as a 16-year-old kid uh, getting uh, introduced by uh, Ecstasy. Um, yes, sir. And, and and what you see there, I think, just from an outside perspective, is like there was a real mentorship there. Oh, absolutely, um, man. You can see how much he uh, um, respected me, you know, and, and you know, you don't you don't see those things at the time. At the time, I was just being a performer. I know that this is the part of the show where I do that thing that I'm supposed to do that we rehearsed and so on. But, you know, it was a fan from the Netherlands that hit me on on Facebook and said, I have a video for you that I think you'd enjoy, you know, after, you know, X passed. And when he sent me the video, man, I saw the love, the respect, the admiration that he had for my skills and the way he introduced me. And, uh, you know, it, it, it brought me to tears mm. because I, 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 I realized at that moment who he was to me and who I was to him, he absolutely, you know, treated me like someone who was under his wing that he was proud of. That was, you saw all of that. You saw the admiration. You saw the, the, the brag and boast. Like, I want to show off my little brother right now. And, um, you know, it, it, was, it was apparent what kind of love, respect existed between all of us out there as kids because you know i didn't find out and this is so crazy i didn't find out till he passed like you know what was it like a m- two months ago that he was only like two years older than me yeah. as a kid i looked yeah. at ecstasy like a big brother yeah. you know so i thought he had me by four years or something and you know when they sh- said his age i was like hold up stop so I was 16 and he was 18? Are you serious? And that hit me. Yo, that hit me like crazy, man. I never saw him as, you know, we look at somebody a year older than us, like, man, we the same age. I never looked at X or Jalil as we're the same age. I was always that little kid to my big brothers. And, and you saw the love that my big brothers had for their little brothers. So I imagine when you started or, or when you started thinking of going, you know, I guess leaving the nest, so to say, I mean, going out to become UTFO, um, when did you start thinking about that? But then did you have that conversation with, I mean, all Well, yeah, they knew everything. You know, my, my manager was, um, worked in the same office with, with uh, Russell Simmons. So we were in there with Run, with LL. You know, me and L used to argue every day about whose song is going to, you know, chart over whose song, you know. And um, he had, LL, they had, um, he had, I need a beat while we right. had Roxanne, Roxanne. And I'm right. telling dude, man, 
I'm gonna slay you on the charts, man. My song's gonna sell, you know, a hundred, you know, uh, two hundred thousand. And so I said, man, mine's gonna do like four hundred thousand. Man, man, mine's gonna go platinum. Man, mine's gonna go, you know, multi platinum. And so, you know, they don't sell three hundred and sixty-seven trillion million billion records, bro. And we would we would have stupid arguments like that. And this is all in the office that my manager and Russell Simmons worked together. So having, um, you know, uh, um, business transactions take place between my group and, and Houdini, you know, everyone knew we were working towards getting our deal. It was no secret to anyone. So when we finally landed it and we left the nest, as you say, it was a, you know, congratulations and we wish you guys success. And, you know, as everyone wished it, no one imagined it would become what it became. You know, it's like, wow, I said, good luck. But I didn't think dude was going to, you know, do that. You know, where, I, for real, where our record went from being a hit to becoming a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. No yeah. one saw that coming. Right, you know, right. so, so we went from being the, the group that was under Houdini to being the group on the same caliber as Houdini. You know, mm-hmm. no one saw that coming. Yeah. You know, so, um, so yeah, leaving the nest wasn't a surprise to anyone. Everyone knew that we had it in us because Houdini allowed us to rap while we were on tour with them. They didn't just let us dance. There were times that they gave us the mic and we were rapping the crowd, you know, while they, while they went backstage to change, we're the ones doing our thing, keep the crowd going. Um, you know, it, so it was, it was never unexpected for us to do this. You know, so when was we finally... Like, was it all love? Was it all love? Was it, it was you know, all it was yeah. all love, man. There wasn't any jealousy. There wasn't any envy. There was no such thing happening, man. You know, it, it's one of those things where, and I've said this for years, celebrities, you may hear them say it's lonely at the top. And what they mean by that is when you are surrounded up there by just those type of peoples, you want to get your people in. Like, how can I get my dude to hang out with me backstage? Like, I love that celebrity and I love this celebrity, but where's the cat I grew up with, man? I want to share this with him. I want him to be there. And so it was that type of family affair where they were happy. We we became family. Mm. So they were happy to have family up on top. It's not lonely here anymore. We're all celebrities now. Now, bitch, you wanna come and fight me now? 
now. Short money with your hype now. Can't see me with your sight be now. When I'm dead, yo, that might be how. Beats and rhymes. Beats and rhymes. Flashback 